0: Welcome to the Diane Podcast. Diane, or Diversity and Inclusion in Asia Network, is the leading network of companies and professionals committed to advancing diversity and inclusion in their organizations in Asia. Leveraging a decade of expertise and thought leadership, we hope this podcast inspires, educates, and motivates passionate individuals like yourself. My name is Tina Arcelia senior manager at Community Business and I manage the Diane Network. We are halfway through this Diane Thought Leadership podcast series that we are running in celebration of the Diane Network's 10th year. Be sure to check out all 10 conversations. With us today is Tom Vergus, who is an executive cultural coach, an author, and founder of Cultural Synergies. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Yeah.
1: You're most welcome, Tina.
0: So, to kick things off, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first came across community business and Diane.
1: Well, I've been an independent consultant now for the last uh, 26 years. I was born and brought up in Malaysia and came out to Australia as a student. And I became involved in uh, community business because of course, you know we were—they were also working in the area of diversity, so it was part of building our network. And then with the first Dying Conference, it was fantastic, obviously, to be there because it was an opportunity to meet other practitioners, academics, and researchers from within the Asia Pacific region who were all involved in the same area.
0: Yes, we love connecting and keeping in touch with people across the region. Actually, the big DNI conference was the first one community business organized back in two thousand and seven. That's around the time you released your book, which of course is the Invisible Elephant.
1: That's right. So actually, it was the, well, it was in 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 that first year we were launching it there, and uh, I spoke about the book at the conference, and it was great because it certainly uh, helped you know promote the book at that time. Um, and the book is really based on how do we build cross-cultural awareness. And I, and I wrote that book primarily because I found that most of the, of the literature and the research on cross-culture was based very much from a European or Western-centric point of view. And I incorporated some of that and took the work of a Malay academic called Dr. Asma Abdullah and you know, and merged it uh, because I found she gave a number of different perspectives which were more from the Eastern uh, philosophies.
0: That's definitely something the founding members of Diane would have agreed with you on. It was a motivating factor for Diane to form, to pool funds and do Asia-focused research, which seems like an obvious thing to do now, but back then there wasn't really a lot of market-specific data and insights. But I'm curious. How was your book, *The Invisible Elephant*, received back then, and what kind of discussions and responses has it provoked over the last decade?
1: It's been received extremely well, if I may say so myself, without appearing to brag about it. <laughs> you know, but a lot of a lot of my clients use it very much as you know because there's some models on it, there's a different, you know, a couple of different tools in it, and so people use it as a way of understanding culture and the, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy book to read and it covers the concepts in a very simple and easy way. So the idea is not to get so academic about it because my clients tend to be in the world of business and you know it needs to be quick, fast, very pragmatic and very practical. So that really is what the focus of that book was and uh, you know and and since then i followed up with another book a few years later called uh uh, you know pillars of of success which i co-wrote with a number of my colleagues and that was really around again uh, building business success i released a book last year which was based on my 25 years as an independent consultant and it was called reflections from 25 years as an intercultural management consultant and I have a book coming out later this year, which is on cultural agility, application of cultural intelligence in the workplace.
0: Mm. So how have companies used your insights into Asian leadership with their leaders within their organizations?
1: Well, I think so. If you look at the early years of my career, so in the in the early 2000s, when I started spending more time looking at Asian leadership, my clients Tended to be mostly Western multinationals who are looking at how do we develop Asian talent within their pipelines. And I have now noticed there's been a shift over the last few years because, in fact, now it's actually Asian organisations looking at how do we develop Asian leaders, but primarily how do we develop Asian leaders to succeed in their enterprises in the West. So it's been an interesting shift of dynamic over the last 15 or so years.
0: So let's explore this difference, Tom. How can Asian leaders take on that global mindset?
1: Well, I I think, you know, again, you've just hit it on the nail. We talk about having a global mindset. And part of having a global mindset is actually appreciating that, you know, we all as individuals have a, a, a cultural framework that we refer to. And so we, wherever we grew up, right, so it's about being ethnocentric. It's, you know, what are we using as a model to compare? So I think that becomes the start of that appreciating now how do I, how do I understand my own cultural values and, and where I'm coming from, and then how do I use that when I'm working with people who may have a different perspective to me? Now, specifically, if we talk about Asians, and we're obviously using this in a broad, in the broadest context, some of the key things will be things around how do we, in fact, challenge in a group. You know, hierarchy is something that's very prevalent in all Asian cultures. And, you know, if you're in an organization, how do we, in fact, challenge the hierarchy in a respectful way? How do I get heard? How do I push back on an idea? You know, how do I deal with conflict? Are all things that we need to kind of frame within an organizational context. So those become some of the topics of conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: And what type of tools or methods would you use to develop these skills? Then would it be through training, coaching? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, variety, variety of things. So one is obviously conversations and dialogue, so you know, which is where the coaching uh, comes in. And then, for uh, uh, many a time, I I like to, in fact, uh, do what I call uh, you know observation. So I like to, in fact, go with my clients and sit in on meetings with them, so that I'm able to provide specific feedback on behaviour. Tend to kind of do quite a number of interviews. Uh, from their other stakeholders to get perspectives on how their behavior is seen. And then many a time we do a lot of role play and what we call improv. You know, so you're actually practicing, you're practicing the skills. It's one thing, Tina, as you can appreciate to intellectually get, oh, yes, I need to be able to provide feedback, but it's another thing to be able to articulate it. That comes
0: only from practice. Absolutely agree. It's one thing knowing you're supposed to do something. It's another actually being able to practice how it's done, especially when we talk about things that are particularly challenging in different cultural contexts, such as giving and receiving feedback and managing conflict, right? I suppose the question to be asked now is, do organizations fully appreciate the importance of Developing Leaders, what it means and how to go about doing this. Tom, maybe focus on what makes a company successful when it comes to navigating the challenges around culture and Asian leadership in the global context.
1: So let me, let me break up that question into a number of components. So one is, you know, one is, are companies recognizing it? I think some companies are and some companies aren't it depends on the maturity of the organization so organizations that are mature and organizations that have been in what is you know what we can call the global workplace so working across distance culture and time and who have had the experience of some of the challenges of that are the people who are who are tending to uh, embrace this so that's the first thing and second thing is got to do it has to do with leadership If there there are leaders in the organization who have had the experience of working, again, across borders, they then tend to actually in some ways instigate some of the development work for people down the the line. And your third question was how do we get more organizations to embrace it? I think, you know, it's it's inevitable in today's world, what we are working with is you have globalization work going at a very fast pace so on one side if you think about when thomas friedman wrote the book the world is flat the whole philosophy and viewpoint on globalization was that it would be great it would flatten the world it would create lots of opportunities for everybody but that was not the reality and we saw that in the global financial crisis when there was just a huge uh, you know, uh, a space or, or or difference in in the aspects of the impact of of what globalization was doing. So then you had that next phase, you know, which is kind of post globalization, which was really around well, how do we rethink this? What does it actually mean? And I think now what we're seeing is actually probably a, a stepping away from globalization, which is around well you know does it actually is it actually useful and do we need to maybe be more localized rather than globalized so i think they're just phases that we're going through the reality though is that the globalization genie is out of the bottle right so we are out people are interacting technology is really connecting the world so everybody is in fact global every organization right now is global the challenge becomes how do we, in fact, embrace that and learn to work with it?
0: Do you see a lot of change happening in the Asia region in response to what's going on, the, the social, political, economic issues in the West? You know, Trump's America, Brexit, nationalist populism. And- mm.
1: Yes. I mean, I see. I, I you know, I see, so one of the things I've actually noticed is, is traditionally in the past, you know, in Asia, we have always looked towards the west as being, you know, let's follow them. But what I'm finding now recently over the last few years has been, I think there's a greater level of confidence, um, you know, from people in uh, in Asia and, and Asian organizations, rather than going far afield, what they tend to be doing is actually expanding into local regions, smaller regions. So you may have a company, for instance, in Thailand, and they may expand into Malaysia, Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, Singapore, Indonesia. You know, so it's like within the region, within the region, rather than going further afield. So they're building their expertise. And a lot of them are saying, actually, that's enough enough for us around here. There's plenty of work here to do rather than going further afield. So I find that's been a shift.
0: That's a really interesting insight. Something we do see with MNCs headquartered in Asia and outside of Asia, that there is so much potential for growth here. As we close, can you share what you see as the emerging issues relating to culture that we've not paid too much attention to in the past years? what do you see as the next big topic we'll all be talking about or the next challenge we need to hurdle?
1: I think philosophically, one of the things I find when I'm coaching uh, Asian leaders is is the necessity to actually talk to them a lot about what coaching is, what the benefits of coaching are, and why they should embrace it. And I think and this has been for... For many years, uh, I I'm generalizing here, yeah, but I find many people come from an Asian kind of background tend to look at coaching as being remedial, so they don't embrace it. They don't look at it as being developmental, you know. So you need to kind of get them over the over the hump as such to kind of take take that on. So that I think is a shift that's required because we need to get people embracing that in today's a very fast moving, rapidly changing world, coaching is one of the ways that kind of keeps us attuned to how we show up. I think that's one of the changes a change that's going to be important for the future. The other thing that's going to be important for the future, and it goes it's linked to culture and specifically leadership, is how do we deal with ambiguity? With the amount of information that we get today, the amount of information that's available, there's so much data around that sometimes we just can't make sense of it. And sometimes there's just, we, even with all the information that's around and the amount of change that's happening, how do we in fact make decisions and deal with ambiguity and when, we, when we do not have all the relevant facts? Linked up with that is I think the change, the pace of change is creating for many leaders a level of fatigue. So that's change fatigue. And therefore that ability to renew, to be able to refresh yourself is important as a leader. The ability to focus and what I call deep work. To be able to do the deep work where you really need to switch out, switch off, think as a leader, how do you allow time to do that in with all the busyness that is occurring today?
0: Right. So you're saying three things. Shifting the mindset around coaching being developmental rather than remedial, dealing with ambiguity, and related to that, resilience, and the ability to do deep work in the face of change fatigue. Right, so before we let you go, Tom, share with us, what type of work are you engaged in these days? What can we look forward to from you?
1: Well, apart from the fact of doing the, the coaching, and I'm doing that, that seems obviously you know, it takes a fair amount of time. I'm finding, though, uh, recently I'm doing a lot of work in what is known as process consulting, which is working with intact leadership teams to help them have crucial conversations. And the reason for having those conversations is really around how do we develop high-performing leadership teams? How do we build trust? How do we collaborate better? And so the process consulting work is having, is bringing me into, uh, to work with the teams and with no content. So I'm not actually bringing content, Into the conversations. Of course, I pull things out when it's necessary. So, therefore, bringing a lot of the experience and things I've learned over the years, and hopefully some wisdom, into the teams. But it's really about around enabling the groups to get alignment, to work, you know, to break through the silos, so that they can be focused and present a unified approach.
0: Mm, So, team dynamics and. Enabling teams to work well within the team and across the business. And you have a new book coming out later this year, right?
1: Yes, Cultural Agility. Mm. It's going to be, that's what it's going to be called, Cultural Agility. It's it's, it's the application of uh, cultural uh, intelligence. So I've obviously, I do a podcast. Uh, over the last few years, and I've had a lot of people who responded to the podcast with more questions. So what I've done is I've just taken some of my key podcast uh, things and and kind of converted them into text and kind of putting that together as a collection. So that it, again, it enables people to maybe just dig in a little bit deeper, spend some time thinking, reading, to help you know to help them uh, become more culturally intelligent and of course apply it. So which is It's the application. You know, how do I actually use it? How do I use this?
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to that and maybe even catching a few of your podcasts. But that's all we have time for in this podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Tom. It's
1: been a pleasure, Tina. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening in. Join me again next time as I speak with Connie Wong. We explore training across cultures as a way to create champions and ultimately an inclusive workplace culture.